Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I talk to various guests about the five things that they would choose from any time in their life that they would wish to have again and safely store in a time capsule. Although it's not as simple as it sounds, they pick four things that they love and would like to keep safe, but they must also choose one thing that they regret, something they would want to forget or erase from their past by burying it in the ground and never having to think of it again. Well, that's the theory. Not everyone quite sticks to the rules, and one or two people have ignored them altogether. No names, no John Lloyds, but that's okay, as long as what they say is about their life and, most importantly, is interesting. My guest in this episode is definitely that. Let's face it, when the actor Danny John Jules gets going, you'd better hold on to your seats. You'll almost certainly know Danny from either Red Dwarf, where he's played the part of Cat for the past 32 years, bloody hell, or Maid Marian with Tony Robinson, or Death in Paradise, in 57 episodes of which he plays the officer Dwayne Myers, or the new Dan Brown TV series based on The Da Vinci Code. He's also been in the films Scum, The Great Muppet Caper, Labyrinth, Little Shop of Horrors, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, Blade Two, and Arthur Christmas. He's the voice of Curtis in Bob the Builder and has appeared in the West End in several musicals over the years. And he was famously brilliant on Strictly Come Dancing's 16th series, Dancing with Amy Dowden. They were eliminated in week eight after controversial reports in the papers about bullying. Danny talks about that time in this podcast and clears up any confusion, I hope. So here's the brilliant Danny John Jules doing his own thing as ever. Have fun. Death in Paradise. Everybody I know has done it, so that's hard work. Yeah. 
I mean, everybody thinks it's like this little jaunt you're doing and sitting on the beach. Yeah, quite. And I did seven years. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. I just came back from doing the Christmas special. I haven't been in it for four years, and I've got this call out the blue, you know, to do a 90-minute special, and I've just come back from doing it. So I am back in the uniform, as they say. <laughs> but it's not as hard as Panto, though, Danny, obviously. No, Panto, you've got to be top level. <laughs> you know, I remember letting you in through the dressing room window with about five minutes to go before you came on. I know, that was just too funny. Who was I sharing a dressing room with then? It's me and you, wasn't it? Yeah, just the two of us. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. There you go. You used to say, I'm just going to nip into town, Mike. I'm not on till just for the interval. Let me back in through the window. Because <laughs> they would say, you can't leave the theatre. And I'd say, you're right, Dan. And you'd go out. And then just before your entrance, there'd be a little tap on the window. And I'd go, you're on, quick. And you'd go, oh, yeah, Rob. And on you went, easy. Yeah, you know, you've got that raffish kind of background that sort of the edges haven't quite been filed off yet you know <laughs> that's what i said you know so coming into you know meeting guys like you who sort of you know already immaculate on the half you know <laughs> yeah. looking like sean connery on a good day yeah <laughs> right yeah and the sort of raffish lout who was sort of crowbarred into the business through the back door <laughs> you know the cat that hasn't changed his spots you know i've got a funnier one than that yeah I'm sitting in the dressing room one day and I hear, ba ba da ba da da, here comes the king. And I'm literally just staring at the tunnel, <laughs> thinking, I wonder where we are in the show. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I, and I hear the band strike up again. <laughs> here comes the king. And all you heard apparently was Danny running down the corridor saying, shit, shit, <laughs> shit. I legged it onto stage, winked, slightly skew in, <laughs> yeah? yeah? Looking at everybody, sort of looking at me. But you know what? You haven't lived till you've done that. No. You haven't lived. You're a proper actor when you've done that, I think. You'll never know how good you are until you try or miss an entrance. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't uh, advise that to anybody because, you know, you immediately break out into one of those sweats that never stops for the rest of the show. There's a famous anecdote, isn't there, of an old actor saying to a friend, come and see this show, you'll like this show. And he's sitting down with him and they're having a few drinks and they're watching the show and then he says to him, oh, this is a good bit, this is where I come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a Paul Nicholas one as well, isn't there? In Cats, when the spotlight, you know, it's like, and it goes up to this little cubby hole here where he puts his head out and he goes, you ought to ask magical Mr. Mistopheles. Well, the spotlight went up there, of course, all you could hear on the radio, Mike, is... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing magical about that. So anyway, my podcast. Your podcast. My mad podcast. So you just think back through your life, you think of five things, mm. anything at all. One, when you think back on it and you think, I wish that hadn't happened. Yeah, there's a load of them. I bet there are. There's been so many great moments. You know, when I think about my life, I had so many great times, you know, all the jobs that I did when I left school, you know, I always had a good time. Yeah. You know, my first job out of school, well, I can go back to that, you know, my, I had a paper round as a kid. Yeah. So I always had that thing of wanting to be self-sufficient from an early age. I never ran with the crowd. I was always the kind of odd one mm. that had been through you know, I mean, you've got to remember from infant. I mean, yeah. I, I got sent to a shrink in infant school. Man. No. That's how bad it was back in the day. 
Why? Well, because what happened, actually, you remember the old days, you used to get the school milk. Mm. You'd get the metal crate in the corner. And it, it was a simple scenario. Um, you know, all the kids sort of rushed towards the milk. You've got to remember, this is not in Hill in the 60s. Yeah. You know? So, you know, there I am at the milk crate and just general kids getting into the milk. And there was a, a little girl, for some reason, seemed to be a little bit put out. Mm. And so it was a case of, ooh, you know, not feeling that, that I probably done anything. But anyway, to cut a long story short, it ended up with a slap around the face. Wow. Right? Yeah. From a teacher. Good Lord. And it was a woman, which is really was the most weird thing. You'd think that that would be the last person that would do something like that. Yeah. But anyway, that was the first wrong I ever felt in my life where I was blamed for something that had nothing to do with me as far as I was concerned. I never even noticed her, to be honest with you. And, you know, I had to go to a place called Notre Dame Clinic on Labrook Grove in Notting Hill. I, every time I go past that building today, you know, because my mum still lives down there. Mm. I live about a mile and a half up the road in Kenzer Rice. And every time I go past that building, I get like this thing of it's that bitterness. Mm. It's still with me. I'm 61. Yeah. Childhood injustices, they never leave you. Yeah. And, and I, and I, you know, I, I can go back and read the report. My mum's still got it. You know, it's there. And I can tell you exactly to everything that happened in that room. I've got such a clear memory of it. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird because at the time, you don't think anything of it, do you? No. You wouldn't tell someone you were really seeing a shrink when you're a grown man. It's not something that you go around broadcasting. So, so I go into this place and this guy's sitting there, you know, and it's got the old sort of wooden table. It's very old school. So I'm, I'm there looking at the guy. And I, I don't know, you know, they do that thing that they, they kind of observe and ask you questions. And yeah. I wasn't interested in anything the guy was saying. <laughs> the only thing I was looking at was this huge dollhouse on a table over there, <laughs> which I realise now what it is. That's how they put the child in a home situation to find out what's going on at home. So they use the dolls. It's all now, but at the time, I just thought, what? Mm. I've never seen a doll's house like it. It was huge, for one. You know, you you know those little crappy ones you see in the shops? Nothing like that. This thing was like, you know, something up in Holland Park. <laughs> we were in Notting Hill. What do you expect? <laughs> so I was fascinated with that. And then he kind of kept looking at me, looking at the doll's house. And so there I am looking at the thing that probably he was going to use on me to find out, you know, why is this kid crazy? Mm -hmm. Because what I neglected to tell you was I reacted like all humans do, which is when under attack, you become animal, don't you? Right. Because that's what we are. Mm -hmm. My immediate response to that slap was a nanosecond later, my teeth were on her arm. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> it was confusing. But, you know, I only ever went to that place once. I never had to go back. I couldn't tell you what the outcome was. I went back to school. So that was a very early indication of the real world. Yeah, no, I mean, in those circumstances, if you think about it, yeah. the first reaction of that school to you reacting to being hit around the face, so that wouldn't have been anything they would have taken any notice of. I mean, obviously, if you were hit around the face, as far as the school was concerned, you deserved it. The teacher was right. And they always were at that time. So, in fact, it's your reaction exactly. they go to. Yeah, but I've been on both sides of the fence. 
And I have, I did get in trouble as a young kid. But mm-hmm. then again, you know, single parent family in Notting Hill in, in, you know, in 1960, it's not a walk in the park. No. I've been working with Lenora Critchlow, a young actress. I know Lenora. Do you? You know, Small Act, the, the series that was done by Steve McQueen. Right, yeah. About the mangrove in Notting Hill. That's where I grew up. Yeah. Right, well, that's about her dad. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? In fact, the first time I met Leonora Critchlow was at her dad's funeral at the Tabernacle in Notting Hill. And a week later, I was sitting next to her reading the first episode of Death in Paradise because she was the original murderer. Oh, wow. Six Degrees in Separation, Mike. I told you I'm going to do your head in today. <laughs> I've got a photograph with me and her dad outside the mangrove when he was exonerated after being planted with heroin by the Notting Hill police. Mm-hmm. That's what that whole series is about. That's Leonora's dad. That's our local community leader. So basically, that was the community I was in at the time of that incident. So you can look at one and one and make two easily because that was the vibe around there. If you go and look at that series, you can see the way the community was treated at that time. Mm -hmm. So you are not going to get the benefit of any doubt. So I kind of knew that growing up very young. This place is not fair and you'd have to deal with it like that. Now, when you get older and wiser, it's hard because you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You've always got this defensive circle nearly because, as I said, I can remember like yesterday playing. That's what I did for most of that session. I played with the dollhouse. Yeah. That's what I did. After that, I never saw the man again. I never was asked to go back. So what was he thinking? I mean, what was what he went back to the school and had to say something. Well. Well, I would just try to imagine that scene in a drama. So, what was the outcome, John? Yeah, I don't think he's crackers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd, I'd love to know that conversation. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, no, he, well, he just sat there looking at the bloody dolls out. <laughs> so I let him play with it. You know, I, I, I can't remember anything that he said to me that even remotely was delving into the problem. He didn't no. say, well, the, the slap hurt. or It was nothing like that. I really don't know what I was doing there. It's weird, isn't it? But again, I think my primary school was one of the most joyous times of my life, even with that. You know, so I turn away and I go to Miss Adler, who was the music teacher. Mm-hmm. She had a dog called Elvis, who used to, she was a hippie, basically. She had a dog called Elvis, <laughs> that she used to bring to school. Elvis used to sleep under the piano in the assembly. <laughs> now, Miss Adler was, she was like, light came out of her. If you ask Drummy Zeb from Aswad, right, because that was our music teacher, he was the drummer in the primary school band. Wow. Now, if you ask Drummy, he will tell you, all the kids, they'll say Miss Adler was their favourite teacher. We did musicals at school, but I wasn't thinking in them times of going to show business, but, you know, I did all of that stuff. Right. I remember my brother in school, he was the year above me, playing Marty in Scrooge, singing. I've never heard my brother sing before. And there he is. I'm like, <laughs> when did he learn all this stuff? I don't, I've never heard him sing. He was the chains and the, the ghost, you know. I'm like, he's a barrister now. What the hell? <laughs> Me and my brother are two opposites, you know. I got zero qualifications and he's a barrister. Mm. Yet we grew up in the same background. He never went to a shrink. So were you happy then at primary school? Were you happy at secondary school? Oh, no. I could listen. I still see people from my primary school, like, every day. Right. I mean... What great times. I met the love of my primary school life. In in, a, in fact, the, the guy's house that I met her again, you know, sort of, what was it, 50 years later, 
was here last night. I walked into it and there she was. You know, I remember being and her sort of, you know, running around the playground and, and my sister, who's younger than me, being in the playground, being really jealous that I was running around. And she was really angry, <laughs> really angry that I was running around this girl. Mm. Good times. I had great times at school. School and you, your school life will be the best days of your life, even if you do get sent to a shrink. But you've got to remember that little bubble that stays there yeah. subconsciously. I don't think about that. I only think about it now you ask me to think, but that's always going to be there. Mm. Because as I said, I'm now hurtling towards retirement and I can remember that as clear as day. Yeah. And I can remember a lot of other great things that happened at primary school. I remember being at the Not Inland Adventure Playground and speaking to Princess Anne when she visited there. Oh. I've been looking for that footage for eight forever <laughs> because it was on the evening news. But I, I've never seen it. And I'm there talking to Princess Anne. It's madness. And I got my first job walking through Notting Hill at the age of 14. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I did a film called Seven Green Bottles, which is actually on the BFI website as a cult film because there were no actors in it. And I went back to school. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be in show business, even though I've done a film. <laughs> and it, the, yeah. the film was for Scotland Yard, ironically. <laughs> yeah. That is ironic. Yeah. Mm. It, it was an anti-crime film for Scotland Yard, <laughs> which is quite funny because I'd actually been in that scenario. There I was filming in the cells in Notting Hill Police Station, mm. having been in there about a year before. Were you in there with reason or not? No, that's be in those days, they just took everybody. If one person screwed up, they took everybody. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember the days were different. They took everybody. And I mean, you know, you got to remember this is SPG time, special patrol groups. This is sus laws. This is all of this mm. stuff. You know, everybody's going. But yeah, I didn't yeah, do nothing. Yeah. I, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> you know, everybody, went. that's the pitfalls of growing up in Notting Hill in those days. The pitfalls of growing up in Notting Hill now is which blinking coffee shop to go to, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've not got a black friend who doesn't tell that story. It happened just so regularly. And I, I think, sadly, it still does happen. No, well, the thing about it is it's just so dishonest of everyone to try and pretend it doesn't happen. So what you have is a load of people lying to themselves, which elongates the problem, because if everyone went, listen, this is ridiculous, this has got to stop, it would stop tomorrow. Yeah. But until people do that, it won't. No. It's so dishonest. So it basically is. Oh, are you telling me an officer of the law would plant drugs on a British citizen? <laughs> they said things like that. But there's Leonora's father yeah. getting £50,000 for being planted with heroin, him and 10 other people. Yes. Yes, it's true, ladies and gentlemen, but you refuse to embrace it. Anyway... Even through all of that that was going on during those times, I had the greatest time of my life. During all of that, yeah. I can tell you millions of scenarios through those days that I, at the same time, I was having the greatest time. We played every sport, whatever it was, we played it. We was in the streets, we were out there, we built bicycles. We, you know, we didn't have mountain bikes. We built, we had to build our bikes out of scraps. You know, <laughs> we were always happy, even though that was going on. Yeah. Because that's what they say. I say, oh, those guys, they're always smiling. <laughs> they can't make up their mind. They, one minute we're always smiling. They're always dancing. Oh, well, no. dancing is because you're happy. Right? So, you, you know, we're happy. You're not happy. We're unhappy. You're unhappy. I mean, I, you know, make up your mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those guys, they're always smiling. They're always, you know, they're always smiling. They're always dancing. Uh, but that's what people, that's what people, that's what people do when they're happy. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take that slap round the face and I'm going to put it in your time capsule to remind you of the injustice of that, but the good times. Of the good times that I had. Absolutely. So let's move on to your next good time. What's item number two, Danny? Yeah, I, I left school at the normal age. I got suspended, like, just around the time of the uh, uh, exams and stuff. So by then, I kind of thought, you know what? This school thing really ain't for me, you know? It wasn't, I had, again, secondary school. We had so many great people at our secondary school. Phil Daniels, the actor, was at my school. Right. Charlie Hawkins. Remember Spring and Autumn with Jimmy Jewell? Yeah. Um, Courtney Pine. Paul Hardcastle. Jeff Chandler, who played professional football. The Grealish brothers, who played professional football at Orient. Yeah. We had Mark Eli, who runs Classically British at the Tabernacle in Notting Hill. You know, there were so many great people in our school. They were either really talented or really crazy. <laughs> like, really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Gary Crowley went to my school. Um, Dave Durrell. These kids were, you know, they were the music journalists of their day. And I remember I was at, I was at the, the Palladium doing Barnum. And I remember at the stage door, I used to be standing at the stage door and Gary Crowley and Dave Durrell used to be walking past going off to their job. I think they were working for NME in those days. Yeah, so there were some great people at our school. But if you ask any of them, they'll tell you the rest of them were nutters. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so what did you do when you left school? I went straight to work on a building site on Westbourne Park Road in Notting Hill. And it was a place called Karnak House which was like a black bookshop come art centre that, you know, obviously in those days you had the GLA. So that was the first place that I worked. And I, again, one of those buildings, every time I pass it, I go, wow. Yeah. And then after that, I worked in a, a leather tanning in King's Cross. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but Robert Llewellyn used to be a cobbler. Yeah, I did know that. And when we did Red Dwarf, and about 10 years ago, I found out that that's where he used to get his stock from. Oh. And I used to work there. And I said, what year? Did you well, I said, we might have crossed each other's path. <laughs> so that was my, my second job. Then I did another job in um, National Heart Hospital in Westmoreland Street in CSSD, sterilizing all the equipment. Now, the second in command heart surgeon in those days was a Professor Sir Magdi Yakub. Mm -hmm. So 40 years to the day nearly of working there, I was a guest at his charity ball and I informed him, Mr. Magdi, I used to work in CSSD, sterilizing your stuff at the National Heart Hospital when you was the number two. He, he looked at me. I've got a photo of that moment with him. Wow. And he was just a god. What a night that was. Mm. So that was my third job. I'm telling you, six degrees of separation. And then my final job before I was in show business, I worked in a hair salon, washing hair and, you know, doing all that. And my boss was a lady called Margaret Long. And she passed away about 10 years ago. And when she passed away, she was living around the corner from me and I never knew it. Uh. That's really a bummer because she was so kind and good to me. She used to let me have the odd day off if I was doing a little one job or something, you know, cause I was just getting into the game. Cause I, by then now, when I was, I went to a little church hall in Notting Hill called the Omnibus Youth Group, which was run by an actor called Loftus Burton, who was in, he used to be a regular you know, sort of uh, in um, space 1999. And he was in a thing called the boy from space. Do you remember that? It was a school's TV program. Yeah. <laughs> I remember walking up Portobello road on that wall there. It had win with Mosley. Sir Oswald Mosley, yeah. leader of the Black Shirts, yeah. the British Nazis. Now, along that wall, I met Loftus Burton. 
the actor, it's the guy from the telly. <laughs> I've never seen a black guy on telly. So I went and got his autograph. Yeah. About five years later, I joined his drama group that he'd started. Brilliant. And so I was in between, I was getting, you know, you'd get the odd, I started off doing the odd, you know, extra work and that. And my boss would give me the odd day off to go and do extra work, you know. Lovely. Because I could earn more in, in that day than I could earn in a week in that shop. Mm. You know, I was on 15 quid a week. Yeah. There's an extra, you know, hey, you know, she used to do stuff like that. So when you meet people like that, the face slappers pale into insignificance. Mm-hmm. The people like Margaret, anyone that would send you down to Bond Street with 300 quid to go and buy a cashmere jumper for her is the kind of person I want to hang around with. Yeah. For every negative in my life, I've had a positive. Yeah. And, and the positives outweigh the negatives because they're better people. Absolutely, yeah. And I would rather remember the times I had with those good people because those are the productive people. They're the ones that inspire you to go out and be better as, you know, be, be a better lovey. <laughs> and it is funny that, you know, those people are the ones that actually took the time out for me. And now that I do have a little bit of exposure, those are the people that I remember. Mm. Those are the people that inspire you, the good people. Those things, Danny, would be nothing to do with race ever, is it? No, it's got everything to do with humanity. Yeah. I would never paint you with the same brush as the lady that slapped me around my face. No. You know, I know I've shared a room with you. And if someone said to me he's a dickhead, I would then go, what? Are you sure about this, mate? I mean, <laughs> you know, I didn't see any of that. I was with, with him, I was in a room with him for whatever it was, two, three months. Yeah. All I know is, to me, he was a gentleman, and that's it. That's good. It's weird. Well, sometimes also those things come out of, of hearsay. People don't even know you. They use the word difficult. Difficult, yeah. When talking about actors, oh, very difficult. <laughs> what do you mean? No, he just wanted everybody to be correct. Yeah. Okay, so that's difficult, is it? Mm-hmm. You mean passionate? Some people are too passionate. You're having fun? Well, I hope so. We have to take a short break here for some adverts, but we'll be back with Danny very soon. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Let's get back to Danny John Jules and continue our fascinating journey through his life and career. 
Did you find that at all in Strictly? Because they had that was strange thing. You were so hard working on that show, and so uh, the amazing stuff that you did. Did did people think you were trying too hard? Well, don't forget, I was the oldest person in the show, including the judges. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? I mean, I'm in the business. I have never heard a producer say, you're trying too hard. <laughs> I've never heard a director say that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just ridiculous. The thing about Strictly was, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going into a well-oiled machine, which is, at that point, with the biggest show on telly. Mm-hmm. And I already knew when I went in there what they were expecting of this guy. Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't giving them anything to chew on, they just went out and made it up. Because I say to everyone, so what did I do then? What, what did I actually do that, that everyone was so unhappy? I don't know. No one's ever told me. No. They came up with this cockamamie story about bullying, which was, you know, dog whistling, basically, that I was bullying my partner. What I want to know is, why is a tabloid journalist backstage in one of the judges' dressing rooms, right? And then you, the first person I looked down when I came out on that set that night when I got evicted was a tabloid journalist sitting right there. I'm on the stairway. He's sitting right there, having just come out of Shirley Ballas's dressing room. I've never heard of media being backstage of any show. No. Except Strictly. And that was the night I was evicted. Yeah. I knew I was going home that night. <laughs> so apparently, after I got evicted, I went into the sort of bar afterwards cursing everybody, saying I should have won. They're all idiots. My mother was there, 84 years old mother. Fair enough. Was in the room that night with my niece and one of my oldest friends. And that's what they said I was doing. Mm. So again, the slap in the face moment is all over me again. Even when you get to that level, you've still got the face slappers, you know, and it's baloney. Every word of it, baloney. Yeah. So do I then take that out on the business? And I, I just want to be a performer, but I've got to deal with face slappers. Mm. It's a dirty show on that level. On that level, it's a filthy show. It's based on tabloid stories, you know. Danny, I know the other people that you work with on, on Red Dwarf. You've been on that show for so long. And if you had any element of that in you, that thing of, of being a pain to work with, it would never have lasted. It would never have lasted like that. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, when you have that thing there, right, when I walked out of that school, I remember what I said to myself, whatever happens, I ain't going to be no bum. And my first job tells you, I went and worked on a building site. Yeah. I ain't going to be no bum. Then I worked in a hospital. I worked in a factory. I did that. Yeah, I weren't going to be no bum. So I was happy. I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't need to have, you know, the riches. And I would never thought that. I just said, I'm not going to be a bum. Because in my community, you know, you kind of looked around and you saw that people were pretty much doing menial work. My, my grandmother worked in three hotels down Park Lane. That's hard. All the people around us had two and three jobs. No, I won't let in the side down. I ain't going to be no bum. Yeah. And that's basically, I've never, I, from the time I walked out of school, I've worked. I'm proud of it. And if that means that I'm going to do my job to the highest quality I can possibly muster, mm-hmm. if it offends other people, tough shit. You know what? I ain't going down. You come up. That's the way I said it, because that's what my teachers used to tell me. So if you're upset about having to put the work in, then that's your business. I mean, 
but it ain't my business. The reason I've worked is because, you know, that I've worked yeah. and I've worked hard and I outwork, not because I'm trying to outwork people. I'm trying to outwork myself. <laughs> and that could be a lot of my downfall because I'm constantly trying to outwork myself and, and you then tend to forget what's happening around you. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I can understand that. But those are the kind of people that I grew up with when I worked. I worked with people like Norman Wisdom. There's no workaholic like Norman Wisdom. So when you work with Norman Wisdom at the age of 18, you pretty much know where it's at. Yeah. I saw Dickie Henderson. I was in the Isle of Wight doing the Jimmy Tarbuck show and then three months of that and then three months of the Dickie Henderson show. I learned comedy timing from Jimmy. I watched his show every night from the wings, every night. If you don't believe me, you can ask his daughter because she was there sometimes as well with, the, with her brother. I wasn't in the dressing room sipping tea with the rest of the lovies. I was on the wings. I wanted to know, this is the guy from the London Palladium show that I used to watch. Mm. That's what I was doing when everybody was downstairs, you know, scratching their nuts and drinking tea, <laughs> you know, and then you watch Norman Wisdom go to work. Mm. Dickie Henderson, this was in 79, Isle of Wight, summer season, Dougie Squire's generation, that's what I was in. So Dickie Henderson, he left the Isle of Wight, crack of dawn, got on a ferry, went to London, buried his mother, got back on the ferry, came back to the the Isle of Wight, I was tap dancing on stage at seven o'clock. <laughs> now you're telling me, oh, you're, you're trying too hard. No, you ain't. No, you are not. You ain't trying as hard as Dickie. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wasn't trying as hard as Dickie. That's trying hard. So if anybody feels that they're doing too much, you need to find another job. Mm -hmm. Well, in my experience, the people who say, oh, they're a bit difficult are always the people who don't like to work as hard as that. You see on Red Dwarf, we've just done take. If we see the floor manager doing this, Doug just changed the dialogue for the next take. That's where you got to be on Red Dwarf. Wow, yeah. He will change the line in between takes. He said, don't say that, say this instead. And with the audience sitting there, mm. you better be ready. But hey, maybe I'm trying too hard. You know what I mean? But that's <laughs> all of us. The whole show runs like that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we don't care. We just dive in. Yeah. And that's what makes the show. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone goes above and beyond the call of duty. For me, it's not strange. I you know what? A lot of these people need to do musical theatre and then <laughs> find out what rehearsal's all about. Yeah. They need to do some musical theatre. I bet Barnum wasn't easy. Barnum, Cats, Starlight Express. Wow. You tried doing a full-out number on roller skates. <laughs> and what are you going to say? You're trying too hard, Dan. It's ridiculous. Mm. So Strictly was... I'm harking back to my variety days. If you are a variety artist, a song and dance man, name one show on telly that you would even be remotely interested in doing. Back in the day, there was 30 different shows that I could have gone on and done a song and dance, right? Now there's one. It's called Strictly Come Dancing. So if you are a song and dance man, what show would you want to do? Yeah. I knew the commissioner of Strictly way before I was in it. She's from Labrick Grove. 17 years the show's been on. At no point did I hint that I wanted to be in Strictly. When I got into Strictly, I did a show for ITV called The Real Full Monty. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was to highlight prostate cancer. Mm. It was on a Thursday night. It was the biggest factual show they had that year. Mm. Six million viewers. So I went to the BAFTAs. And it was there I went mincing down the red carpet with Wayne Sleep. <laughs> and it was that night that the lady in question came over with the producer and said, so you're going to come and do Strictly this year. So when I went into the show, I already knew I was a target of the tabloids. I knew 
the first thing they tell you when you go into the show is, there's going to be press intrusion. Are you okay with that? I mean, you know, it's not a secret. People outside of that show are delusional as to what the real MO of the show is. Mm. They tell you there's going to be press intrusion. <laughs> if you ain't got the gohanas, then don't go in the show. Take away the dancing in Strictly. What have you got? Nothing. Nothing. I went to dance. That's what I did. I went to dance. It's a dancing show. So why wouldn't a dancer want to be on the biggest dancing show around the world? Mm. They were coming up with all kinds of stuff as to why, why are you doing it? You know, I'm like, well, is there a better show I could do as a song and dance man? You see the band of Strictly? Yeah. You see the Dave Arch, the, the MD? Mm -hmm. I worked with Dave Arch in 1987. Half of that band used to play on my demos. They didn't know that. I knew it. They didn't. <laughs> I knew half of that band before I went in the place. Yeah. All the singers, if you go back to my historical tweets, you'll see it says the singers on Strictly are the best in the country. You know what they did? They went and dug out a couple of tweets where I said that Bruno and Craig can't dance. <laughs> That's what they dug out and put it out there. They went digging in my tweets. So why didn't they dig out the same tweet that said the singers in Strictly are the best in the country? They just chose what they wanted to choose. When I saw Bruno, I said, was you upset about that? Oh, no, darling, no, darling. When they asked me, which judge would you like to be stuck in a lift with? Who do you think I said? There was Darcy, Bruno, Craig. Who do you think I said? I'd choose Craig Rebel Horwood. You know who I chose? No. Darcy. That was against what they thought I was going to say. Why would I say Craig when I said that him and Bruno can't dance? <laughs> now, if you know anything about musical theatre, mate, the banter is vicious. Mm -hmm. That's nothing. Mine was mild. The loveys in musical theatre sort of had the 10 strips off of those guys. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, if they think I'm bad, they've never been in a theatre with a room full of real loveys, darling. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. So all I said is he can't dance. And, you know, go online and type in Bruno Tonioli dancing. See what you comes up with. <laughs> and then type in Darcy Bussell dancing and see what happens. And then you'll see why I'd rather be in the room with Darcy. Yeah. I would learn all those lovely French words they use in ballet. <laughs> and then when I did the jive, who, who was the person that gave me a 10? Darcy. Every professional dancer said that that's a 10 dance all day. The two professional dancers actually went on It Takes Two and said to Zoe, what else do you have to do to get a 10? It was a brilliant dance, Danny. That jive was amazing. Well, all I can do is do what the choreographer says to the best of my ability. Mm. What else do I do? I didn't choreograph it. My partner, Amy, choreographed it. Now, I was there. I was polished. So how much time did we spend in the studio doing what? Yeah. We were working, mate. As I told them, those kids that I was up against were 25. Yeah. I was hurtling towards 60 when I did that show. Huh. They saw what I could do, but I'm still waiting to see what the others can do, meaning the people that are pointing the fingers at you. We ain't seen what they can do, have we? No. <laughs> we, we know what Shirley can do, mm. right? There's a million of Shirley videos. There's a million Darcy videos. And as I said to you, Google Bruno. <laughs> That's not a put down. No. It's just facts. Yeah. He's on there as a personality, isn't he? So Well, you know, you know if you're going to throw shade on people, then you better be squeaky clean. Show me a video where I can see your giant. But hey... People think that they can say anything about you and you're not allowed to respond. Yeah, no, it's fine. You've demonstrated you're good at taking the slap in the face. <laughs> man, if you think I went in there expecting to win, then everybody, again, is slightly delusional. Man, I had the time of my life doing that show. 
how many people get to 60 years old and they're out there doing jives and tangos in the biggest show on telly. And yeah. I really did want to see if I could do it. And then straight afterwards, I did my one-man show. Two hours, 21 songs, and because of Strictly. I was totally happy. People looked at me on Strictly and, and go, you know, uh, what was Strictly like? I said, have you seen my dances? Mm. You can't do that unless you're really happy. You can't do that jive unless you're happy. No. Why would you rehearse it? And how much energy do you need to put into rehearsals to get to that point in the drive? Yeah. But maybe I'm trying too hard. <laughs> you see what I mean? It don't make no sense. I know that when we did the tech run, I fell over because I had to do it three times. On my back, gasping for air, 60 years old, three times through the drive. Mm. Yeah. Maybe that's working too hard. I mean, I have to say, Danny, that there's not a single person I know who's ever worked with you who doesn't say that when you turn up, you're on it always straight on it, that you've done the preparation, you've done the work that's required, and you come in and you know your job. That's the best thing that people can say about you. You know, um, the film, All That Jazz, mm. Roy Schneider wasn't the first choice. It was, what's his name, from Close Encounters? Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Anyway, he made the mistake of saying to Bob Fosse, you should treat the dancers a bit better, maybe you'd get more out. Oh, no. Well, of course, you know he never did the film. No. The reason those dancers are dancing for Bob Fosse is because they want to dance for the best. If it means that you've got to work 120%, that's the lay of the ground. Yeah. I met Bob Fosse at the Minskoff Theatre in the rehearsal room, 1985, me, him, a pianist, and an assistant. Those were the four people in the room. There you have it. Wow. And that's why Richard Dreyfus, who obviously wasn't prepared to do the work, that's why he was no longer in the film. It's interesting, isn't it? Because quite often actors, they like to be handled gently. Do you think you could try this for me, say, directors? Now, when it comes to choreographers, you don't get that at all, do you, ever? Mate, you do what you're told. And because I had that discipline, why would I bully my choreographer? That's what they were saying. They were saying that I was bullying Amy Dowden. And my respect for choreographers is, is second to none because that's my game. And man, Bob Fosse would never in a million years say, Danny, you're trying too hard. Well, the shows you've done, you listen, Starlight Express, famously, incredibly hard work. Mm. And the dropout rate for that show was astonishing. Yeah, I never had a night off. Barnum, the same thing. Barnum, absolutely notorious. I never had a night off. Again, that goes back to having a paper round. In our community, work was imperative and hard work at that. Mm -hmm. You've got to be better than them. Mm. That's what we were told. Do you think, Danny, that that's finally changing after all these years? Do you think that finally things are evening up? I think that that, again, is a personal observation because when I look at other black actors and I look at how much work that I do and then I look around and I'd say, Ooh, you know, it's very difficult to, you know, to just be in the middle of a load of actors. Hey, man, I'm doing this and I'm doing... You know, it's it's hard. It's hard. Because mm. you know that a lot of these guys haven't worked for 15 months. And, you know, you don't blow your trumpet too hard in scenarios like this. No. I mean, I never tweeted about Da Vinci Code until a week after it was already out there. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be a great show, I think. It's a great show to get. So I'm really pleased for you. Happy days. Things that, you, that happened to you that you would never imagine, you know. I met James Cagney, man. You're kidding. I was doing a film called Ragtime at Shepparton, mm -hmm. and it had him, Pat Brown, and Don O'Connor. Wow, what a moment. So I'm going into the restaurant, and I, I, I think it was James Cagney. So I held the door open for him, 
And he went, hey, no, you go ahead. You're quicker than me. <laughs> and then there's Donald O'Connor. Uh -huh. You know, Moses, supposes, it's Moses, Moses, I'm like, shit, it's Donald O'Connor. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> oh, my God, it's Donald O'Connor. Yeah. So that's amazing, isn't it? I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Madness. I remember an another one. I was doing a convention somewhere like Montreal or somewhere. John Candy's standing there. Oh. Russ Tamblin's standing there. Wow. Russ Tamblin. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from the first cigarette to your last dying day. <laughs> Russ Tamblin. Tom Thumb. Yeah. I've met these people. It's like, it's, I grew up watching. So if you can imagine all that happiness. And this is, God, this is, I, mean, I must have met 300, 400 people like that who I went, oh my God, it's so-and-so. So, yeah, we have so much happiness. But in, as I said, in, in, our, in my personal life, yeah, I was a soul boy. That's how I got into dancing. I went to soul clubs and I wanted to be better at dancing. So I went to a few dance classes. And that's what I was. I was a soul boy. Listen, you can go and Google Danny John Jules, the soul boy. I was there from the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. I was there from the beginning, mate. You were there at the beginning and I think you'll be there at the end, mate. I can't see you ever stopping and I can't see you ever slowing down. You know what? If you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> I did Celebrity Chase the other day with Eamon Holmes. We're the same age. Huh. It took him 10 times as long to get to the, <laughs> to the chaser as it did me. The first time I saw Eamon was back in the GM TV days. You know, we were doing a, a musical called Soul Train and, you know, me and Sheila Ferguson and the cast went on the show and he's good friends with Sheila. And in fact, we still talk. Why would Sheila Ferguson want to talk with a dickhead like Danny? <laughs> well, that's what I thought when I did this. I took her to some after-hours clubs in Notting Hill when we were working together. And I tell you what, that was the funny. She went in there, man. She had a red dress on tight. I was in the middle of Notting Hill amongst all of the chaps down in this club called The Globe. Anyone that knows about it, mate, she walked in there and the entire place literally got moist <laughs> this guy came up and i knew him he used to go to my school big guy he just went he just mesmerized he went i'd marry you without sex <laughs> and she went well how do i know to be that good <laughs> and walked him out and right. he turned to me he said danny no woman's ever spoken to me like that before <laughs> those are happy days man happy days you know We've had lots of happy days. It's a long time since we worked together. Yeah. But it's lovely to see you, and it's really nice to connect Do you. know, with you. as I said, all we're doing is sharing our experiences, whether they be professional or personal. Mm -hmm. Because look at what we've learned from the people that went before us, you know. Yeah. And we make the same mistakes. It's just like working in Costa. It doesn't change because it's in a theatre. People will always be people. And in show business, they've got this mad thing that, you know, with some sort of aliens that, well, we're not like Costa Coffee servers. <laughs> we're in showbiz. <laughs> and who goes showbiz 24-7? The ones that do, you don't want to be around. No. Danny, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really lovely, well, listening to you. <laughs> Mate, listen, I think by the time you edit all that, you'll have a show. <laughs> I might have too. It's been lovely to see you, Dan. Cheers. Mike, you're one of the good guys. That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> Don't be fooled by the white hat. <laughs> Mike, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Cheers, man. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Danny John-Jules. 
I think we can work out the things he'll put in a time capsule. Many thanks to him for so generously giving us his time. You can listen to any of the 170 episodes of My Time Capsule whenever you want. And if you subscribe, we'll send you all new episodes as they're released. Do rate the show if you get the chance, and some podcast providers even let you write a short review. You can follow me and My Time Capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, where we always try to respond to any questions and suggestions. Do let us know what you think and help us spread the word by telling your friends. Thanks. The theme music by... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Us the Peas music is available to download on Spotify. This has been a cast-off production for Acast. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. Right, I'm off my singing lessons. I've not given up hope of the West End yet, you know. If Danny can do it, I can do it. Although I've got a long way to go. At my first lesson, I told the teacher my voice was trained. He said, trained? It doesn't even sound housebroken. I dreamed a dream in days gone by. <laughs> Nearly there. Bye. Bye.